Merry Christmas, and welcome to a special Christmas Eve episode of The Rambling Rev. My name is Scott Dalen. I am an ELCA pastor in Southwest Iowa. Uh, yes, you can call me Rev, in case you're wondering. And I normally will present these episodes every week. This one is, of course, special because of Christmas Eve. But my reason for doing these is twofold. The first is just to allow you, the listener, to gain some insight into the assigned gospel text, typically gospel, I should say, assigned text for the week based on the lectionary, our assigned readings, to just to gain some insight for you as we go into them for the purposes of sermonating. And and the other reason, which normally I list first today, I've listed it second, is just to take my brain out of the mode of background work over the course of the week and move into the process of writing and preparing the sermon that I will preach to my congregation. So that is why I do these. This one, ironically, is a little bit different than normal, even as I switched around my two reasons for sharing these. I've also switched around my process in that I've actually already prepared my sermon. I walked into the office this morning feeling like, oh, I think I've got a handle. So I sat down and went clickety, 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 clickety on the laptop to get it written and prepared. So it's already done, but I want to go ahead and present this to you anyway, because I think it's important. And so let's go ahead and get into it. So this one for Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2019, our gospel lesson, as it does every year for Christmas Eve, comes out of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. This is Luke's account of the nativity or of the birth of Jesus or whatever we want to call it. This story is also present in Matthew's gospel. Actually, that was the focus of my last episode, episode number four, which was highlighted for this past Sunday. So we're actually getting kind of a cool little comparison between the two. Now, Matthew's is much shorter than what we will have for Christmas Eve. And uh, the focus is certainly different in that one. We really have very much more of an anticipatory sense as Joseph is finding out what's happening and the angel's telling him in a dream, hey, don't freak out about this. It's going to be okay. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should name him, all that. Uh, Luke's gospel is a little bit more on the nose, and you can tell it's prepared by someone who's trying to place this in history. But again, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk about it some just to kind of give you some insight. Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Side note, I'm going to come back and talk about that because that's a big red flag. Okay, continuing. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. 
When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. All right, so that is the reading. Sorry, I went through that rather rapidly because it's kind of a long reading. But there's a ton of stuff going on here. Now, as I mentioned already, Luke, thought to be the last of the four Gospels that was written, is really aimed at trying to give an account of everything that you have heard. In fact, it opens uh, as Luke kind of talks about this. He talks about this guy named Theophilus, or it might be a girl, we don't know. This person named Theophilus, who Luke is setting out to give you an orderly account of what you have heard so that you can know it's true. Chapter one of Luke starts off with a lot of the forerunner type situations. We have a comparison between John the Baptist and Jesus. We find out in chapter one that they are relatives. There's some angelic appearances to John's father and then to Mary. Mary's angelic appearance is important as we come into this story because she's already been giving a preview of what's going to happen. But there's also a sensibility in terms of comparisons between the one who really should be important, that being John the Baptist and his pedigree, and then the very lowly Jesus born to commoners, sort of. Actually, they're probably not commoners, considering that Joseph is of the line of and the family of David. He's royalty, so he's got that going for him. But that's perhaps a side note. But as I think about this, so we've got Luke that's really making all these comparisons and wanting to set it into a specific point in history. And that's why we hear the political situations. We've got Emperor Augustus. We've got Quirinius being the governor of Syria. Now, historically, actually, that causes some issues because we find that those two did not overlap. And any sort of census that went on when Quirinius was governor happened actually after we placed Jesus in his birth in history. But I think what Luke is doing with this is giving us uh, perhaps a sense of here's the political, here's the big, here's the grandiose, here's where all of this action should be happening. And then beyond Caesar giving the issue of there needs to be a census, which then takes the Holy Family to Bethlehem, we don't hear from him yet. They're just kind of like, yeah, they were there, but nothing really happened because um, God tends to work in the small and the minuscule as opposed to the big and the political and uh, all that. But that's just one thing. So that being said, we have Joseph and Mary heading off to from Galilee, where in the north down to Bethlehem, uh, which was the ancestral home of David. And that's why they go there. And it's during that time that she actually has her baby. Now, some things to think about here. Mary is quite young. Very likely, she probably would have been a young girl, only about 13 or 14. Now, granted, yes, it was a different age, a different time. But can you imagine um, the sense that she had? She, as a young girl, is pregnant. She's facing all the, the cultural stigma that's going along with that because she and Joseph are not yet married. You know, there's we hear about it in Matthew that there's a lot of, like, she could have been stoned to death for, for this. So she's dealing with that. Uh, now she's in a strange city or a strange town. She's staying in a strange home with a bunch of people that maybe she knew, maybe she didn't. But she's surrounded by people because so many people are in town for this census. And now all of a sudden it's time for her baby and not just to have a baby, but her first baby. She's never been through this before. She's very young. She might have family around, but probably not. They're in this home. Now, here's what I referenced before. The whole no place for them in the end. That's a horrible translation. Uh, they would have been in someone's house. And the better way of saying it is there was no place for them in the dwelling place. Most houses had like a guest room and uh, that's where they would they would put someone spare. But there are so many people that there's not even room for that. 
So Mary was probably surrounded by other women, maybe even the midwives of the community. But uh, she has her baby. And since there's so many people together and they don't have their own space, they lay him in a manger. Now, this gives the idea, oh, he's born in the barns. No, also not true. Dwellings in that time had a little corner uh, where they would keep uh, their livestock in the cold of winter. And because of that area, there would be a spot, uh, a manger, where they would put feed for the animals. And that's where Jesus is laid. So he's still in a house. He's not born in a barn. Yes, it may be a cave aspect of a dwelling that's built over it, but put the whole barn of a, of a hotel out of your heads because that's just not accurate. So we have all this happening. So we have the birth of Jesus. And it's actually kind of sort of throwaway, but we hear that it happens. Now we have the angelic messenger showing up to the shepherds. Now, this is a crazy situation. So shepherds were shifty. They were the lowest of the low, not considered to be great witnesses. This is perhaps foreshadowing uh, what we'll see at the end of Luke's gospel when the women are witnesses to the resurrection and they run off to tell the disciples and they see it as an idle tale, like they don't believe it. We kind of see that sort of situation here as well. Who's the worst possible person that you could tap to be a witness of the greatest news in the world? How about some shepherds? <laughs> Should we have the uh, important people, the political people, the emperor over in Rome? No, let's have shepherds do it. That's kind of the tension, the strange craziness that we see here. And the shocking sense in which this happens. Now, it happens at night. Their flocks would have been bedded down, maybe in a cave outside of town. And suddenly this angelic messenger shows up. Once more, we hear, do not fear. That always seems to be the case whenever an angel shows up, almost across the board every single time we hear, do not fear. Like, I don't know what it is about angels, but they gotta be freaky. And I can imagine in the dead of night when suddenly this giant angel shows up and the lights of heaven are shining all around you. And then there's heavenly hosts that are singing all around you and all these choirs of angels and all this stuff's happening. Yeah, they probably are freaking. I don't blame them in that, but they're told. And they're given good news of great joy, and we hear it's for all people. This isn't just for them, but they are called to take it forward. And now here's what I find funny. So they're given this message, and then the angel says, and here's the sign for you. The sign that the Savior of the world has been born is that the Savior of the world has been born. Like, go and you'll find him laying in a manger, essentially. Like, go find him, and the fact that you're going to find him is the sense that this is true. <laughs> it's kind of like, what? But okay. And then the angels disappear. Uh, the angels depart. The shepherds kind of look at each other like, um, blink, blink, blink. Okay, let's let's go check it out. And they do. They get there. They show up. And can you imagine? Now, Mary's given birth to a baby. We don't know how much time passes, but it's the same night because we hear today is born to you a savior. And so they knock on the door and they're like, um, yeah, can we see your kid? And I imagine Mary's like, what? But so they come in. They share with everyone who's there, who's probably not just Mary and Joseph, but everyone who's gathered in this particular home. They share what's happened. They share the words given to them by the angel about this child. Everyone treasures it. Mary treasures it in her heart because she's you know, given the, been given the preview nine months prior. But everybody's marveling at what's happening, wondering what is this that God is up to. The shepherds, they all depart and they're telling everybody what's going on and glorifying find God. And Mary's treasuring these things in her heart, whatever that means. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. And as I think about this story, that in the church, we look at every year. 
And I'm thinking about it from a multitude of perspectives, or at least I'm trying to. Admittedly, I bring my own perspective to this. And I know that every single person who's going to be sitting in the pews later on today is going to bring their perspective, their experience, their past history with this text, with this story, with Christmas in general, with the world as it is now, everything that's different this that's happened this year as compared to last year. I know that there's probably going to be some people, whether they're children or they're new believers or whatever, who are maybe in church for the first time, or maybe they're not even in church. They're just hearing this story for the first time, and they're scratching their head, wondering, what is this that God is up to? How is it that this divine being, this creator of the entire universe, the sustainer of the world and all that is in it, the being that is so much more than we are, that exists somehow in three persons, God the Creator, God the Son, who's born today, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. How's all that work? This, These things that are mysteries. And maybe that's the sense that, that is most fitting today that I'm, I'm finding myself thinking about is these divine mysteries that we visit every year. You know, this is something that we we celebrate every single year. And we remember this story. We celebrate the birth Jesus, which is so vital to our faith, but something that happened 2,000 years ago. What is it about this mysterious event and this this event of, of God entering the world through humanity, through the presence of the divine and the human? What is it about this that is so vital to us? And here in the Lutheran Church, we default to divine mysteries whenever we encounter something that we can't explain. Right, wrong, or otherwise, that's what we do. And I find myself, uh, when I'm in teaching situations, really defaulting to that. You know, I try and explain things the best that I can, to the best of my experience and my understanding of theology and, and scriptures and what's happening and, and the expressions and the confessions of our, of our church body. But some things we just cannot know, we cannot figure out. And one of them is, how can we have a God that exists in three persons and yet is one God? And how is Jesus, who is God, also the Son of God? And how are they one and the same and also different? How's the Holy Spirit fit into all that? And what is it that God is up to in this act of entering into our reality uh, in order to be a Savior? What is God saving us from? Is God saving us from sin? Yes. Is God saving us from hell? Yes, whatever that is. And that's a whole different tangent that I won't even go on. But is God saving us from everything which hinders? That was the understanding, as I've come to understand it. (laughs) I just said understanding twice. As I've come to understand Jewish thought at the time, the idea of a savior was not just to come and save us from our sins or to save us from hell, but to save us from that which marginalizes that which hinders from to save us from that which sets us apart from others the savior has come to rectify those situations to put us all on even an even playing field and now does that speak into our understanding of sin and brokenness in the world sure of course it does and i don't diminish that but it's not only that uh, i often talk about if we boil down to our faith as a simple get out of jail free card and get a free pass from the fires of hell, then we are missing the point that God is calling us into something new in this life right here, right now. That's a lot of what's going on. I am really excited because it's Christmas and I love Christmas, but also because I've already prepped this sermon and I kind of know where I'm going with it. But so that's a lot of what's happening. But I want to 
just say again, Merry Christmas to everyone who might be listening out there. Again, this is an out of the ordinary episode. Uh, normally, not only this time of week, but but also just the sense that I'm bringing to it and that I've already prepped the sermon, which I've kind of repeated myself now. But uh, I hope that this day for you is a blessed one. This time is is one of joy and peace. And if it's not because of whatever's going on in your life, know that God is with you and God sees you and you are not alone in that. If you happen to be one of my people around this area and I see you this evening for uh, Christmas Eve worship, I look forward to that. And if you are just catching this out in the internet ether out there, Christmas blessings to you as well. May God watch over you and be with you and we will catch you next time.